Good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing today? I hear one person doing well. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. You guys got to warm up with me a little bit. I don't do this that often, all right? So uh, please, please stay alive with me as we get through this. I'm going to do my best to be interesting and enjoyable for the whole time. I promise. I hope you had a really great Christmas. I hope you had some good time with family and uh, were able to have some great memories. I know I had a great time visiting uh, the different people that we were heading off to on our Christmas tour. But, um, you know, there's a lot of us, too, that I want to just, you know, recognize as well who are going through some significant hurt from some loss maybe that they experienced this year, too. And we just want to let you know that we, we're here with you, that we're walking with you in prayer, and that we're going to be continuing to lift you up in this coming year. Honestly, I, I can't believe that it's the end of the year today. Uh, is anyone else feeling that way, too? Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, because it's just been a whirlwind for us. And honestly, I, I can't believe that we've been here for like already over 10 months. It feels like home here at Journey Church, and we love it here. Thank you so much for making my family and I feel so welcome. It's just a, a joy to be here with you all. And I hope that if you're new to Journey Church, that you have that same experience, that you can call Journey Church your home, and it can be your community where you feel comfortable to worship God and glorify Him. Uh, you know, the last few weeks we've been working on a series, Come to Worship, and we've been talking about a lot of different things, a lot of different ways that we can worship God, um, through raising our hands, through uh, pouring out of our hearts and our gifts, and, you know, God really wants us to go ahead and engage with Him. He wants us to reach out to Him as our Heavenly Father. He wants us to go ahead and give Him the things that He's been able to go ahead and bless us with. Uh, but he also wants the things that aren't so much of a blessing as well. He wants us to pour out our hearts from our struggles and our hurts, from the things that are hurting us. So, I mean, we need to remember that he's there, that our Heavenly Father is truly never more pleased than when we run to him for the things that we need. You know, this week we're going to be looking at another posture of worship, from the Christmas story, actually. And we're going to pick up in Matthew 2, 10 through 11. It says, When the wise men saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. All right, I want you, I want you to suspend some, some uh, lack of engagement. I want you to join with me here. Can you all just close your eyes for a moment and just imagine this time, this meeting of the wise men. They've been journeying from afar. They come, they see Jesus and his mother, Mary, and just want you to picture them, the different individuals in that place. Okay, have we got it? I know Bug has it. Do we have it? All right, good. That's great. All right, so how many of you picture Jesus as a little baby? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, all right, me too. All right, but the reality is, as we look at this passage, it says child, not baby. And when we examine it further, it actually, uh, there's good reason for us to believe that Jesus was a toddler, maybe even two years old or more. Now, if you're like me, this probably took you aback a little bit for a couple reasons. I mean, first off, I don't really think about Jesus from anywhere between baby and adult that often. There's just not that many stories in the Bible about it. But maybe more surprisingly to you parents and grandparents out there is that these wise men, these kings, came and bowed before a toddler. Now, I don't know about you. I've met my fair share of toddlers, and they're great. I love kids, but I never felt the need to bow before one when I first met them. I'm sorry. It's just that's not how it, it, I feel, and, I, and they're great. They're awesome. I love kids. Don't hear me the wrong way, but we have to be honest about this. They're a complete mess, all right? 
and we got a picture here, and it's just going to underscore this, okay? They're, they're literally and figuratively a mess, and I'm, I mean, I thanked God when I could get to the grocery store and back without my kids having a complete makedown. It's, it's a victory, right? You know, it's a success when we do that. All right, you guys are making me feel good. I appreciate that. You know, but before I had kids, I would see that kid in the middle of the snack aisle with boogers on his face and all messy and throwing a fit, and I'd think, man, those parents have got to get this kid together, you know? But the tables have turned completely, you know? If I'm not that parent in the snack aisle with my kid throwing a fit, then I'm coming along and consoling them because the struggle is real. I'm serious, you know? So... Let's go back to this story. We have these three kings who are men of power and prestige, and they come upon this toddler, and their response is to kneel, to bow before him in worship. How incredible this child truly must have been for them to have that response to this two-year-old. You know, in their culture, an honor-based culture especially, men of power just didn't kneel before children. They were like citizens of no repute. They had no standing whatsoever. You know, I think probably when we think about our own culture as well, there's not a lot of reasons for us to kneel, is there? You know, I mean, I can think of sometimes in football where we would kneel, you know, a football player, and I can think of maybe, you know, some of us guys who have the joy of being married, we took a knee at some point in our life, you know, at a very important point in our life, hopefully just once, for all you out there. Someone got that joke. All right, that's good. Um, you know, but I still think that, you know, just for us, this really isn't something that we often take a position of doing in our lives, especially in our culture, the American culture. You know, but the Bible continues to bring this image before us of kneeling before God in worship. In fact, the psalmist calls us and says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And that's in Psalm 95, 6 through 7. And you know what? The psalmist isn't alone in calling us to that. The Bible over 170 times calls us to bow down in worship before God. And they even have their own word in Hebrew for bowing in worship, shakah. You see, we begin to truly see God. When we do that, when we begin to truly see who he is, bowing before him becomes a natural response. Our God is so holy, so pure, so altogether powerful that our physical bodies can't even withstand experiencing him in all of his glory completely. You know, I know that's kind of hard for us to think about, hard for us to wrap around. We talk about how accessible God is and what happens with that, but I want to go ahead and give you some stories from the Old Testament just to remind us of the power and might and awesomeness of the God we serve. The first story is out of Moses. And when we talk about Moses, we think about you know, them walking through the desert. But there was a place called the Tent of Meeting outside the camp of the Israelites where God would come and meet with Moses. And it says God would talk with Moses as one friend speaking to another. That's incredible to think about, especially before Jesus coming and making that way for us. So Moses would have these conversations with God, and at one point he's like, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. And God said, I'll show you all of my goodness, but I can't show you my face because you wouldn't live through it. You know, this is 
a God that is more powerful than we can comprehend. In fact, so powerful that these encounters had a physical effect on Moses. His face would shine and glow with God's glory as he walked around the camp, so much so that he would have to cover his face so the people of Israel would stop staring at him. Can't even imagine what that would be like. The second story that I want to talk about is with the high priests and the chamber of the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now, if you're not familiar with the temple, that's okay. But the chamber of the Holy of Holies was where God's complete presence drew, was, was, was present, okay? So what Moses said that he couldn't withstand, that's where God was in that place, in the temple. His whole presence was there dwelling with his people. And so the priests, once a year, only once a year, and only the high priests would enter into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice. But because of God's presence being so incredibly real in that place, he would have to enter it with these garments with bells on the bottom of it and with a rope tied around his waist. And the other priests who couldn't enter in for any reason would have to wait with the other end of the rope because God's presence is so incredibly powerful and he is so holy that there was a real chance of him actually falling dead in the midst of that. And they would hear the bell stop to jingle and they'd pull him back out. This is the type of God that we see. You know, I can't imagine what it would be like entering into church and not knowing if I was going to leave because of the holiness of the God we worship. I wonder if we would have the courage to step into that service. You see, when we begin to understand how holy and awesome our God is, and add to that the reality that he loves us completely to the point of giving up his own life for ours, we're brought to a place where we can't help but kneel before God. It's only because of the sacrifice of Christ, only because of what Jesus has done, that we can enter into worship and not risk our own lives. And just like Moses, we too should be changed, not just changed in some metaphorical way, but physically changed in how we act and how we present ourselves and who we are by these encounters with God. These moments that we spend together in worship here as a church and at home in our own lives should be bringing us on our knees before a God that is so awesome and so present among us. But there's something within us that fights this attitude of praise. And I say attitude specifically because I want to be clear, the act of kneeling before God somehow isn't some mystically important thing, all right? It's the heart that puts us on our knees that God is after. I want to be clear that no matter who you are, no matter your physical limitations, God's calling you to kneel before him in your heart. If God was only looking for us to move our bodies to a different position, then a lot of us could accomplish this with very little effort. The reality is that God wants our hearts to express an attitude of kneeling in every area of our lives. So no matter what your physical condition, you can still kneel before God in a profound way spiritually by adopting an attitude within your heart that impacts the way you live your life. You know, in our culture, I really wish that our physical limitations were the first thing that kept us from kneeling before God. But if we were honest, the truth is they're not. You know, God never asks us to bow before him, but he does ask that we don't bow to someone or something else other than himself. You know, we are so often tempted to bow before our own pride, the pursuit of success or money, or our own self-indulgence, 
You know, we choose our own ways over God's and we allow our desires to overpower God's presence in our lives. False gods can never fill or bring meaning to our lives. But when we see God clearly, all right, when we see him for who he truly is, we're left with a clear picture of God and a God who is all-powerful, our creator who loves us so profoundly that he would come and be bound to us in our broken state. A creator that would give all of himself to free us from our brokenness so that we could live the life as that he intended us to live. A life of joy and a life of peace and a life of hope, of power and of victory, not from our own efforts, but from the efforts of a God worthy of our worship. The God who we ought to kneel before in praise. But, but what does this look like, really? I mean, we're talking about a lot of really great things, okay? But what does it look like how we can begin to experience this in our own lives? Like, how can we actually make this a part of our day-to-day life in our journey with Jesus? Because if we don't look at that, if we don't understand that, then this will never really reach us in a truly profound way. So let's take note of how we can begin to kneel before God and ask him to show us how he wants us to kneel in response to his love for us. I'm going to explain some ways that I think we can begin to kneel to God and a good way for us to start doing this in our own worship before him. The first way I would challenge us to kneel before God would be to kneel in pursuit. We can see a clear example of this type of kneeling in Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up and fell to him on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't really know what happened in this man's life. We don't know what he was going through or what was going on for him. Um, But it seems like there was something eating at this guy. And I can relate with him. I can relate with his exasperation, his intensity. And I don't know what's going on in your life, honestly. I don't know what struggles you're facing but I do know that we're all facing something that's too big for us to handle. And when we feel the crushing weight of that bearing down on us, the place where we need to run, not walk, Amen. the place where we need to fall and not worry about how we're going to get down on our knees is at Jesus' feet. Right. Because we know that he promises that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Yeah. And that we have a Savior who loves us and who wants to go ahead and come and bear our burdens And be with us in our pain and our hurt. So I want to challenge us that if we are feeling in the midst of life like we are overwhelmed, that we should run to Jesus and kneel before him in pursuit. And I know some of us who are here may not be followers of Christ, but I want to challenge you too. I want to challenge you to kneel before Jesus and ask him what's keeping you for making that commitment to follow after him. The second way we can kneel is to kneel in repentance. And I've seen how the holidays can be hard for a lot of us, especially when we're experiencing the brokenness that exists between people. You know, we're supposed to be celebrating with these people, but there's all this hurt and heartache. You know, as imperfect people, we will be constantly experiencing the effects of sin in our lives, even if we're saved from the penalty of it. Whether it's the sin against us or against someone else or God, the holidays have a way of bringing all of that to the forefront. 
You know, the Bible has a great experience, uh, exa- I'm sorry, example of repentance in the book of Luke as Peter and Jesus interact. See, Peter's out fishing and he's not catching anything. And he's throwing his net on the side of the boat. And Jesus comes and calls out to him and says, it's for Peter to throw his net on the other side of the boat. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes here. Let's really give him some benefit of the doubt. And let's just realize for a second, Peter's the fisherman. Jesus is the carpenter. Okay, if you've been fishing for any amount of time, you know that if you're casting on one side, you cast on the other, you're probably not going to have a lot better luck. All right? But because it is Jesus, and because he did ask him, Peter goes ahead and throws his net on the other side. I know a lot of you may know this story, but he catches so much fish that he almost can't pull the net in. And we see his response to Jesus. And I think it's telling of what he was feeling and the battle that he was struggling with in the midst of this interaction. It says in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much a sinner to be around you. You see, I believe Peter had forgotten who Jesus really was. And in so doing, had doubted what Jesus asked him to do. You know, I think this is the case because Peter wasn't just saying, Oh, Lord, this is great. Help me catch more fish this way. This is awesome. You know, he wasn't doing that. He was, he was turning around and saying, Leave me. I'm too much of a sinner. And I just want to be clear that if you're here, a lot of us feel this way. As we come to God, as we live our lives, as we struggle with sin in our, in our hearts. And I want to let you know that no matter who you are, Jesus never turns away the person coming to him with a repentant heart. And that his arms are open wide for you this morning. And you don't have to worry about not being good enough to be in his presence. In fact, Peter, in this verse, he gives him a promotion from a fisherman to a fisher of men. You see, when we kneel before God in repentance, God empowers us to stand before men and proclaim his glory. There's not shame in our God's redemption. You know, the third way and final way I want to challenge and encourage us to kneel before Christ today is to kneel in submission. Now, I know submission is a difficult word for a lot of us, and there's some good reasons behind that. You know, in our culture, we're told to go ahead and stand against the world, stand against anything and everything that would tell you otherwise. And also, in Christendom, we've actually called our wives to submit to husbands without remembering to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed for us. And so this really jades us to this word of submission and colors it poorly in our lives. But I want to tell you that true godly submission is something that doesn't tear us down. It doesn't hollow us out. On the contrary, when we submit to God, we come alive to who we are truly meant to be. We experience life as it was intended. We experience life as it was intended by God, and we live with a peace and a power that cannot be matched. But all this takes a heart that is willing to go ahead and sacrifice ourselves for the gift of Christ. I can stand here without a doubt in my heart and tell you that submission to God, no matter how bleak it may seem, is the right thing for you to do. And I can do that not because of anything that I've seen or done, but because of what I've been shown in the scriptures. When we see in Luke 22, verses 41 through 42, an example of Jesus submitting to God as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, sometimes kneeling to pray helps give us the strength to stand. What Jesus was submitting to was unthinkable. It was the undeserved weight of sin and pain and brokenness of all humanity on his shoulders. For him to experience all that amidst the excruciating death on a cross wasn't a good thing. It wasn't what he wanted. Jesus actually asked for it to be removed from his life. But he still submitted to God's will. So when we understand that Christ submitted to God's will, hear me on this, please. How can we see him giving up his life so that we can have life for all eternity and not submit to him and what he wants for us? The reality is we have a choice to make in our lives each day to kneel before God or not to. God never asks us to kneel, but he does ask us to taste and see that he is good, to know him for who he truly is. And when we truly do that, why wouldn't we bow before him in praise? However, this choice that exists for us, it's only temporary. We read in Philippians 2, 8 through 11, and being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." You and I have a choice today. But one day, that choice will be gone. And every person will kneel before Jesus Christ as Lord. Don't let that moment be a moment that you regret. Experience Jesus now. Respond to him in kneeling. And experience the true gift of life and hope. It's what we are created for, both now and for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord, there's so many things that pull at us, that drag us away from where we should truly be. And that's at your feet, God, glorifying you and lifting you up. Lord, I pray that as we've been through this series, as we've looked at all of these postures of worship, Lord, that you would remind us that we were built and created to worship and glorify you, and that you would call out to each of us in how we need to respond to you today, and that we wouldn't allow this life and this time that we have here to be a moment that we regret, but that we would take each day and each moment and posture ourselves in a place of kneeling before you, God, in a place of giving you the glory and the love that you deserve for all that you've done for us. God, we just give you the praise, and we are just so thankful for all that you're doing in this time, and we ask for you to continue to work in our hearts as we worship you in this service together today. In your name we pray. Amen.